You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Church in Huntsville, Ontario. Harvest Church is a community that exists to love God, love people, and make disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at myharvestchurch.ca. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be um, starting in verse 15 um, to, to verse 21. And Ephesians chapter 5, we're continuing this series in Ephesians. So if you grab your Bibles, go there or in front of you, in the seat in front of you, there's probably a Bible under there. If you don't have a Bible, grab that, take that home as our gift to you, but get to Ephesians 5. Now, as you're going there, so, so much in our culture is about identity. Where you can see that the the world is searching, every one of us all searching for an identity, searching to answer that question of, who am I? And maybe you don't stand in front of a mirror and and actually ask that question, who am I? But, but, But in the way we live, the way we act, we're looking for that identity. And then you can look for it in relationships, you, you, you can look for it in your work, you can look for it in, in, in what style you may, you may have, you can look for it in so many different places in our culture right now. I mean, sexuality has become a, a top identity thing. And, and listen, listen, why are we searching for that? We're searching because knowing your true identity changes everything. And so in the book of Ephesians, where we've been walking through, we see verse after verse where God is saying over and over again, Christian, here is your identity. This is your new identity, who you are in Christ. Months ago, we walked through the the first three chapters where where just with such clarity, we see over and over again where where it's saying, this is who you are. When you put your hope in Christ, that that God reached down, that he he reached down to to grab a hold of, to elect screwed up, sinful, self-focused human beings like us, to what? To permanently commit himself in love to us, to, to bind himself to us. That Jesus restores us through his life His death, his resurrection, he creates a new reconciled family of Jesus people. And so now your identity completely changed. And in those first three chapters, you hear this, that that now as as a Jesus person, a life changed, you're holy, you're distinct, you're set apart for a purpose, set apart from your previous identity. You're, you're more loved than you could ever imagine. You're, you're called beloved children of God. You're children of the light. You don't have to live in the dark anymore. You're called saints. You're secure forever. You're, you're adopted as a child of the king. You're blessed. You're fully forgiven. You're a co-heir. I mean, think about that. A co-heir with Jesus to, to the eternal riches of God's kingdom. That's who you are. Amen is right. And, and then Ephesians moves into chapter four and begins to, to lay out these boundaries for us, these guardrails saying, this is what life looks like with this new life you have. Walk in this new life. This is what it means to walk in this. And these boundaries just show us all the practical ways as Jesus people, this is the boundaries that we live within, the boundaries about just simple day-to-day things of life. This is the boundaries for sex, the boundaries for money, the boundaries for relationships, the boundaries for our anger, for our work, for our generosity, and, and all these boundaries. Now, in these verses, we're about to take a turn. Because Paul, writing this letter, in these next few verses, he's not laying any boundaries out for us. But what he's showing us is this. What does the freedom look like within those boundaries? It might sound weird to say freedom within boundaries, right? 
you'd think, wait a minute, the, the definition of freedom would be no boundaries, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean that's, that's what I, you know, I could do whatever I want. I could, I could be whoever I want. I can, I can go wherever I want with whoever I want. But listen, that's not the gospel definition of freedom. I would think if you look in our culture today, you would see that a demonstrated that having, looking for that kind of freedom to do whatever you want leads to ruined human lives. We see it all around us, don't we? When people seek out, I want no boundaries. I want to I do whatever I want with whoever I want, wherever I want. It leads to hurt and brokenness. And, and I think of it this way. When God lays out boundaries, he says, I created you. I know where you will best flourish in freedom. And, and so think about a fish swimming around in the ocean, all of a sudden thinking, why am I stuck in this ocean? There's land over there. There's freedom here. And the fish comes up on the land. What do they do on the land, right? They used to swim just free, and now they're on the land flopping around, eventually dying. There's freedom when we live in the boundaries that God creates for us. We have, listen, I would say this, we have the greatest freedom when we have the right boundaries. As you think of Christian life and how you live out your Christian life and, and the freedom you have within those boundaries. Last week we talked about, I am not going to move outside of God's boundaries as it relates to sex and sexuality. This is what God says. That's a boundary for me. So no, I will not join in and I will not celebrate what the world celebrates. I got a boundary for that. But at the same time, I'm also not moving the boundaries that God sets for me to live out grace and love and generosity. But then inside those boundaries, there's this immense amount of freedom in our day-to-day lives. Like, What do you do for work? Where are you going to go to school? Where are you going to choose to live? So how do we live in that freedom? Look at verse 15. It says this. It says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And there's so much packed into these few verses here, but to boil it down, it's saying this, hey, to live in freedom, to live in freedom, pursue wisdom, understand God's will, and be filled with the Spirit. And and the result of of living that way, how how do you know you're walking in that freedom? It says there's going to be joy, there's going to be worship, there's going to be thanksgiving, there's going to be this humility where you're submitting to each other, or or it says in Romans where you're going to outdo one another in honor, or in Philippians where it says we'll consider each other before we consider our own needs. That's the freedom we're given. All right, let me pray. We're done. No, we're going to unpack it, all right? Let's, 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 what does that actually look like? How do we specifically live this out? What, what's it look like as we live in that freedom that God's created for us? Look in verse 15. He starts by saying this. Be careful. Look carefully how you walk. Be, be careful about the decisions you make. How you live your life in that freedom, it matters. And Paul lays out these three contrasts for us. He says, be careful. He says, he says, don't be unwise, but be wise. Verse 17 says, don't be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. 
verse 18, he says, don't get hammered, be filled with the Spirit. You see, see those contrasts are important. There are three contrasts there. Don't, don't, don't be wise or don't be unwise, do be wise. Don't be foolish, do understand the will of the Lord. Don't be drunk, do be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so to, to live in that freedom, we, we seek wisdom, we, we seek to understand the will of the Lord, and we're filled with the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Because in order to, to, to understand the will of the Lord, in order to have wisdom, we're going to need to be led by the Spirit. And there's these contrasting behaviors that will sabotage our freedom. You see them in there, right? Don't be stupid. Don't get drunk. So to walk in freedom, what do we need to do? We need to seek wisdom, first of all. To walk in freedom, I seek wisdom. And what is wisdom? I, I want to seek it, so I better know what it is. It's, it's, and biblically speaking, wisdom is more than just head knowledge, being super smart, being bookish, having a high IQ. No, there's more than that. In fact, look how it's described here. Look at verse 16. Being wise is this, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Having wisdom means you're, you're making use of every opportunity. So, so the opposite would look like this. To, to be unwise would be just, just cruise through life. Just let life happen to us. Just, just be buried in entertainment. Just doom scroll your life away. Just be deadened by whatever habit you grab a hold of that, that takes up our minutes and our hours. That's unwise. And listen, if you are living that way, let me say this. We've, we've, we've learned this from the, the first few chapters of Ephesians. If you live like that, you're still absolutely loved by Jesus. God's steadfast love, his covenant love for you is still yours. But listen, you're missing out on the freedom that you have in Christ. And this freedom is a battle. It says, make use of the time. Why? Because the days are evil. The, the flow of the world is going in the opposite direction than we're being called to by the Lord to walk. Our world has different values, different agendas, different priorities, different desires. To be unwise is just jump into that stream of the world and float along. To be wise is to make the most of your time, to swim against that flow, but recognize that that's the direction of the world. I kind of think of it this way. If you've ever um, driven a car with bad alignment, maybe you've hit the curb one too many times, hit a pothole one too many times, your car alignment's now off, and as you drive, if you're to take your hands off, your, off the wheel, what's it do? It's like to the ditch, right? So you have to constantly be, be driving the car, making sure that that's our life, that's being wise in the world. The days are evil. My life has a tendency to want to join in with unwise, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna drift off if, I don't, if I'm not wise and holding on, taking active pursuit of where my heart is leaning and leading to make the best use. Listen, we never coast into wisdom. You cultivate wisdom. You dig deep into God's word. You, you plant the gospel deep into your heart every day. You, you keep your eyes open to what God has for you to say, I wanna make the best use of my time. And so wisdom is when we decide no to some things and yes to other things, right? We say, what is important for me right now? So, so wisdom, I start my day in the word. Lack of wisdom, I crush the snooze button over and over again. I grab my phone first to scroll before I grab God's word. That, that's unwise. 
Wisdom opens our eyes to, to, to love and to serve our families, our church, our community. A lack of wisdom distracts us or, or focuses our energy on our own thing and turns us inward. Wisdom gives, gives me eyes to see the mission God's called me to and giving my time, my energy, my, my money, my stuff. Lack of wisdom says, hoard it for yourself. Wisdom says, take your sin to the Lord and confess it and repent to each other so, so that you could be healed and walk in the light. A lack of wisdom says, hide it. Let's not be unwise, let's be wise. Here's the second contrast we see there. Don't be foolish, but understand God's will. So don't be unwise, but be wise. Secondly, don't be foolish, but understand God's will. I mean, if we're wise, we're, we're going to have our eyes and our heart open to what God's doing. We're going to say, I want to go in the direction God's leading me. I want to follow his will. Now, now, that whole idea, though, of being in God's will, it can be confusing and can throw us a bit sometimes. I, I think because we take this whole idea of God's will and, and we say, it, we take it kind of a, a goofy place that, that God's word never says that it is and we make God's will like the center of a target we're trying to hit and if we miss that bullseye, we're outside of God's will. Well, let me give you an example. When you start to wonder, man, who, who should I marry? Oh my God, God has a will for my life and I gotta find that girl and she's, or that guy and that, that spouse, they're the target, they're the one I'm supposed to be. I don't wanna screw this up because if I, I hit over here, I miss God's will. Or maybe the center might be where you're a student graduating high school. What school do I go to? What's the, what's the center of God's will? I gotta make sure I choose the right school. The job I'm looking for, I gotta make sure the place I choose to live. How do I figure out? I don't wanna miss. And Listen, the Bible never talks about God's will that way. Now, the Bible's very clear about boundaries that are for sure God's will, right? So if you're wondering, who should I marry? There's a, a wide space in that of freedom to choose who it would be you, you should marry. Now, there's boundaries there. There's, there's boundaries. I mean, God made it clear that sexual integrity means you only have sex with a person that you're in a covenant marriage relationship with. And sex outside of marriage is never in God's will. I mean, 1 Thessalonians 4 says it clearly. This is God's will that you would abstain from sexual immorality. So that's an easy one to understand. It's so clear. It's a clear boundary. Outside of that is not freedom. But inside, where I have freedom, what do I do? What do I do? How do I know God's will? Scripture talks about God's will as we do what's pleasing to God. Where God looks at you as a child and says, man, I'm so pleased with what they're doing. So I think of it as a parent with a kid. Now, when our kids were really little, we had a room set aside just as a playroom. Maybe you got this in your house, right? You got that extra room and you love, I loved it because what you do? You just shut the door. It's great, right? The mess is in there. It's awesome. But if, if my kids roll into that playroom and they're playing with their toys and I as a dad walk in and I start hovering over them, no, don't, don't play with those toy horses. Play, play with these dolls instead. No, 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 stack these like this. That, that's not a good way of parenting, right? But instead, what do you do as a parent? They're free to play with all these toys they have in that room. And so my, my will as a dad is that my kids would flourish, be creative, have fun. And so they have this freedom then. Whatever toy they're picking up in that room. Now, again, if they were like, hmm, we should take the paint because I think the color of the carpet's not right. And we should paint. The, no, now, now you're outside, right? You're outside of those boundaries. But within there, there's this freedom. 
And so as kids of the king, listen, there's so much freedom in what you could be doing. And listen, to rest in the fact that this is God's will for me. He's pleased. He's given me the freedom. And, and so do we pray and fast and seek counsel for decisions we make for sure? Get to know the Lord. Romans 12 says, have your mind renewed. Be in the word so you know that what, what God's area of freedom is. You know how he's leading and you get to understand what is good and perfect and pleasing will is. But I think we can get paralyzed sometimes. In these decisions, I don't know which way to go. And God's like, enjoy the freedom you have. Are you seeking me? Then enjoy it. Love me. Love people. Live in the boundaries. I want to spend the rest of our time dealing with this third contrast. I think the third contrast is the key to the other two. How do, how do I understand God's will? How do I have wisdom? Verse 18, look what it says. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So here's the contrast. So it was, don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. Don't get drunk, be filled with the Spirit. Now it says, don't get drunk, which leads to debauchery. Now, I gotta be honest with you, I've never used that word in my life. Maybe you have. I had to walk around with my friends. Oh, look at the debauchery over there, right? This is not a word I use. What's it mean? <clears throat> it means this. It means, literally, it means to have, have no restraint, to have no boundaries. Now, now, it's this contrast. Don't live like that. Live like this. Now, there are some, I just want to deal with this, there are some Christian brothers and sisters in Christendom who would say, oh, drunk and spirit-filled together in a sentence, so that must be what spirit-filled is. You need to be drunk in the spirit. And I, I don't know, I can imagine Paul like looking down on us going, oh, my word, I did not see you guys taking it that way, right? You see, it's a contrast here. Don't be unwise, be wise. Don't be foolish, Understand the will of the Lord. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. It's, it's a contrast, but there is a similarity on this, last on this last contrast. There's an outside influence on your life. Uh, the outside influence of alcohol or the outside influence of the Spirit. And so if we're to be wise, if we're to make the best use of our time, if we're to have a good understanding, Paul's saying, hey, getting wasted is not going to lead you there. There's never been a YouTube video where the totally drunk dude goes viral because he made such a wise decision, right? Those aren't out there. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. Okay, this is Muskoka, so I got to say this. There are dudes probably saying, that's easy. I'm not a French pansy. I don't drink wine. I'm a bourbon guy, right? No, I don't think it's the, what he's talking. He's just saying alcohol in general, right? He's not being specific. He's saying, listen, listen, don't get drunk on alcohol. Now, super quick, scripture is so clear. Scripture is so clear. Don't get drunk. It's a boundary God puts in. Now, inside that boundary, controversial, but let me just say this. The, the boundary is don't get drunk. Inside, there's this freedom to use wisdom and discernment. There are plenty of scriptures like Psalm 104 where we, we celebrate the gift of family and harvest and enjoy oil and wine that gladdens the heart. Jesus celebrates at a wedding and he turns water into grape juice. It was amazing. No, he didn't. He turned it into, into wine, right? So, so scripture talks a lot about, about celebration and thankfulness connected to alcohol, but there's so many passages, listen, so many passages like this one warning about the abuse of alcohol. So, so when you talk about wisdom, this is one area in that freedom where we need wisdom. 
For some of you here, having wine with your family or beer with, with friends or family, and you're celebrating the blessings of God together, you can do that. For, for somebody else here, listen, it would be unwise. It would be foolish. It would be destructive for you to do that. Maybe there are addictions in your family. Maybe you're in a season where the temptation would be to use alcohol, to abuse it, to try to escape. Paul's using this contrast here saying, don't don't use alcohol in this way. Don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Because you think about, why do people abuse alcohol? They they do it for for a couple of reasons. One of it is this. they're, They're trying to avoid what's fearful, what's hard, what's difficult, or they're trying to build up courage to engage. It makes you happy, right? It it makes you brave. Why? Because a drunk person sees less of reality than they did before. The things that were fearful and holding you back, you don't see. They start to disappear. You become brave. You become happy. Why? Because alcohol is a depressant. It, it, It depresses your brain from seeing clearly. It clouds it, right? Science will tell us this, that alcohol really goes after that, that prefrontal lobe of your brain, right? That, that's a part of your brain that, that says, uh, yo, here are the consequences of those actions, right? That's what the prefrontal lobe does. This part of our brain, it's not fully developed until into your 20s, right? It develops in girls way faster than guys. And like, you can just look around and go, yup, totally, right? It, it's why your teenager makes decisions where you go, what were you thinking? They weren't. <laughs> Now, students, listen, that's not your get-out-of-jail-free card, all right? Uh, Dad, you can't get upset at me. My prefrontal lobe is not developed yet. No, you still got to see good decisions. You're, you're growing in wisdom. But what alcohol does, it deadens that part of the brain, right? Now, we don't need neuroscience to tell us what we already know. Alcohol makes you dumb, right? It, it deadens your awareness, That's why it makes you brave. That's why it makes you happy because you don't see reality. But listen, the spirit brings a way better joy, a way better courage. It's deep and lasting and it does so in the opposite way. The spirit does this. Why? How? Paul's saying, be wise, be careful, be intensely aware. In verse 14, Paul says, wake up, O sleeper. How? By being filled with the spirit. You're joyful, you're courageous because the Spirit is actually opening your heart and your eyes to a clearer reality. My favorite example in Scripture of this is in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elisha with his servant. They're, they're the night before um, where it looks like they're about to be done for because surrounding the city is, is the enemy armies. Just tons of them. And, and, and his servant, Elisha's servant, he's like melting down into total fear. And, and he looks at Elisha, and Elisha, Elisha has confidence and joy. He's like, well, how can you be like that? Well, like, how can you be so confident? And so Elisha could have helped out his servant in one of two ways. He could have got some whiskey. <laughs> Let's get plastered. Let's take your, your mind off of this reality. And his, his servant may have, may have gained some liquid courage, may have had some joy in the moment. That's not what he did. What did Elisha do? He prayed, oh God. He said, God, open his eyes, is what he said. Show him all of reality. Not just the material, but but the supernatural, the spiritual. And and God opens this servant's eyes, and he looks around this army that was surrounding the city, and he sees surrounding the army countless flaming chariots of angels 
He saw the supernatural. He, he began to realize God, God is way bigger than this army. God is real. God is there. God has a plan. God has ultimate power. Listen, that's the fullness of the Spirit. It gives you joy and courage, not by showing you less, but actually by showing you more of reality, showing you this is who your God is. This is his purpose. This are his, these are his plans. This is his character. So as you're filled with the Spirit, you see clearly who God is. The question could be this, though. Well, then how do I have this? How am I filled with the Spirit? We talk about it a lot in church. Be filled with the Spirit. How does that actually happen? I mean, it's a command. It says to do it. The Spirit is a very real presence in your life if you're a Christ follower. When you came to Jesus, when you repented and you said, I'm not pursuing this anymore. I'm not going after myself. I'm not going after the world. I'm not putting my hope in that anymore. And you turned, you said, I'm trusting in Jesus Christ. I'm giving him my sin, my brokenness, my life, my plans. I'm following him. In that moment, the presence of Jesus is now with you. And you, you begin to see things differently because you have his spirit. Maybe, maybe you've got that testimony where you'd say, man, everything changed for me. I saw things different. And then the Bible uses phrases like in that moment, you're, you're baptized into the Spirit, like you're immersed in the Spirit. We're in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.30 says that you're, you're sealed by the Spirit, like God stamps on you in that moment where he draws your heart to turn to him. There's a stamp put on you where he says, you're mine. And here's the Spirit that does that. And you can't be unbaptized, you can't be unimmersed, you can't, you can't be, have that, that seal of the Spirit removed from you, but, but you know what you can do? It says in Ephesians 4.30 that you can grieve that Spirit that sealed you. You can grieve the presence of God in your life. Elsewhere, it says you can quench the flame of the Spirit. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't, don't grieve the Spirit. Don't quench the Spirit. Instead, have more. Be filled with more of the Spirit's influence in your life. Be filled. The command here, it's actually not just be filled. It could be said this way, be and continue to be filled. It's this ongoing command. But it's also a passive command. Where, where it's saying be filled, but it's something that's happening to you. One illustration that I've heard that's helped me understand this is this idea of how a wind fills the sail of a sailboat. The sail's passive. It's the wind that fills that sail and gives it the power to move. The wind is doing the work. But listen, listen, the sail needs to turn in the right way to catch that wind. So how do we do that? How are we filled with the Spirit? We, we turn the sail of our life. We, we turn our heart. We turn our mind. In fact, flip over just a couple pages to Colossians chapter 3. Just a few pages to the right. Colossians chapter three, it's, it's a parallel passage to the one we're in right now where Paul's writing the same thing to the church in Colossae where he's saying, hey, hey you guys need to get this. You need to, to know what it is to live in this way, to have this kind of joy. And then he says to be thankful, to be worshiping, to, to sing to each other. And he says this, look at verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
flip back to Ephesians. It's, it's really, it's the same, he's saying the same thing as he said in Ephesians, all the same things. He's saying, this is what you should be living like. There's one phrase that's different. In Ephesians, he said, be filled with the Spirit. In Colossians, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be filled with the Word. I would say this, how do I turn the sails of my life to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul would say this, be in the Word. He said earlier in Ephesians that you would know the breadth and the height and the depth and the width of Christ's love for you so that you could be filled with the fullness of God. You, you turn your sail to the gospel. So the influence of the Spirit happens. Uh, I'm filled with the Spirit as I spend time in the Word of God, as I, as I immerse myself in the gospel. But it's not just alone, because you see the, the rest of these verses talk about things we do together. So it's as I jump into life group and, and people are speaking that same word into my life and we're unpacking God's word together. It's, it's when, you, when you sit under a sermon and you're like, man, how does a preacher know to say just that? That's what I'm wrestling with this week. It's not the preacher, it's the spirit of God at work saying, turn your sail this way. Paul's saying, listen, don't get drunk to forget, get filled to see clearly. Listen, maybe it's not alcohol for you. Maybe it's something different. And I would say it this way, then don't turn your sail to, to relationships that fill you. Don't turn your sail to pornography. Don't, don't turn your sail to mindless entertainment. Don't turn your sail to social media and scrolling to deal with life's pressures. Instead, be filled with the very presence of Jesus Christ. It's this active turning to passively receive the power from outside of yourself, the influence of the Spirit on your life. Because listen, you, you can turn your sails away from the Spirit. You're never in the Word. You're living outside of the boundaries. You're, you're not seeking His presence. And listen, if you do that, you won't be filled. You, you can turn your life to other influences and be filled more with those. Or, or daily, you can turn your sails to the Spirit to say, I want this presence of Jesus in my life. I want this new life with His truth, with His boundaries, with His power. Daily, and I say daily. I like how D.L. Moody says it. Why would I say daily? Moody said this, I need to be filled every day because I leak, right? No one is always totally joyful and thankful and submissive to God and, and empowered for service. We don't have that all the time. We, we leak, and so we seek him daily. We rehearse the gospel daily. We dig into the word daily. We bring our hearts to the Lord in repentance daily, repenting early and often. We come to worship and celebrate the gospel. We do it daily. But you look at these last couple of verses and you can, you can see both, both the means of the filling, how it happens, and the result of this filling. Look at verse 19. It says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see all these I-N-G words, right? This, this is the, hey, be filled. And, and as you're being filled, this is what you're doing. You're singing, you're submitting, you're, you're giving thanks. These are the actions. This is the how and the what we do as spirit-filled Christians. And, and the first one I see there is we worship. 
I like the idea of, of, of singing for this sense. I just feel like if you kind of think of it this way, that as you go through life, there's this soundtrack that's playing. It's always playing in your heart. Well, what's that soundtrack for you? Because to be filled with the Spirit, when, when you begin to add worship as that soundtrack of your life, when tragedy strikes and, and the temptation is to sing the song of despair, instead, instead, you sing a song of hope, he'll never leave me or forsake me. When the, when the song of, of fear overwhelms you and you begin to sing a new song over that, that song to say, with God, all things are possible. When the, when the song of, of shame, you sing a new song of, I've been forgiven and changed to become a blessed child of God. But you also notice it's not just between you and the Lord in your heart, although it says that, that there's this, there's this song in your heart. There's a community part to this. It says we sing to each other. I don't know, does it get turned into like La La Land where you just bust out in song as you're talking to somebody? Like musicals are weird, are they not? Do you ever think, how odd? Like that would never happen in real life. I don't think it's saying that, but it's saying this. Listen, when we gather in corporate worship like we do on a Sunday morning, it's so good for our soul. I need to hear your voice worship because you're lifting up my voice. I need to join with you so together we sing. We sing to the Lord, but we're also singing to each other. And listen, this is why just staying home and doing Christianity just on your own, it does not work. It's not part of God's plan. We're called to do this together because we need each other. There are mornings I come in here for worship, and yeah, I'm supposed to be ready to preach, but I come in here not ready. My heart is hurting, or there's, there's stuff going on. And I tell you, I come in, and, and, and the worship hearing somebody else lift up their voice in worship, knowing some of the stories going on in our church, and I see a person who I know their story, the difficulty they're going through, and yet they're worshiping the Lord. And I think this is why, I, I don't, I'm not saying it's a command, although it does say, holy men, lift up your hands in prayer. But I'd say, man, part of that is why I love when people actually lift their hands in worship, because for me, it just it stirs me to watch that and say, man, there's somebody engaged in worship, and I, I can get there too. That's why we need life groups. We need to be close enough to each other to know each other enough to hear each other's heart songs. It's why worship is one of our four pillars of our church that we say we're about worship, to be constantly in worship. And listen, I would say this, we don't sing in a Sunday morning to warm you up for me to preach. My hope and my prayer is this, that we preach God's word so clearly that it turns our hearts into better worshipers. We sing because we're filled. We're filled because we're singing. Why? Because we're filled with the presence of Christ. The worship is one thing. It goes on. It says thankfulness. Look at verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> you may ask, why would I need the Spirit to be thankful? Well, it says be thankful always and for everything. Man, I need the Spirit for that, Right? Our, our heart's default is to be ungrateful. But when you're filled with the Spirit, there's this thankfulness. You begin to see gratitude stir up in your heart. And then lastly, what's it say in verse 21? Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That our lives begin to be lived out for each other. So, so how would we know that this is a Spirit-filled church? 
there'll be worship, there'll be thankfulness, there'll be a humility as we serve each other, all out of reverence for Jesus. So how do we respond to what we've heard this morning? Here's how we're going to respond. We're going to respond by celebrating the Lord's Supper together, by celebrating communion together. In fact, the ushers are going to come forward as soon as they're ready, and they're going to begin to just hand out communion. As it goes by, it'll be two cups stacked. Grab both of them, the, the, the breads and the bottom cup. And here's why, why it's so good to respond in this way. Because as you respond in communion, what are you doing? You're, you're stirring your heart. You're turning the sails of your heart, even this morning, to see what? To see the gospel. To remember again, as you hold the bread, to remember that, that Christ's body was given for you, that, that he took on your and my sin. He took on the wrath of God in our place that we could be forgiven. That when you hold the cup, Christ says it's the, the cup of the new covenant, that, that you have a new life in Christ because of his blood that was poured out, that took care of your sin, not just that, but gave you new life. And so it's in communion in, in, a, in a supernatural way that we meet Jesus. Maybe for you, you have not actually met Jesus yet. Like, I don't think I've ever made a decision to follow him as my Lord. I've never, never brought my life to him in desperate need of him as my savior. Then, then I would say this morning, you begin there. Say, Jesus, I, I need this. I need your forgiveness. I need your life. If you're a Christ follower, we, we celebrate communion regularly. Why? Because we need it regularly. We need to be reminded every day. We need our hearts turned. We can't create this kind of joy and thankfulness, this kind of humility, but listen, the Spirit can. Jesus can change you. And you can live in victory rather than defeat. I believe this morning as we're, we're getting ready together, we'll take it together, but as we're getting ready and we're just contemplating on the cross of Christ and his, his death in our place, I, I believe that this morning, there are some here this morning where Jesus is saying so clearly to you this morning, turn your sail. Turn away from that addiction. Turn away from that legalism. Turn away from that anger. Turn away from that marital problem. Turn away from that pride. Turn away from that anger. You don't need to live in this any longer. And if you feel the Spirit pressing in on you, saying, hey, we need to get past this, this sin, this weakness, this, this attitude, this struggle. Listen, it's not condemnation. He's rescuing you. In this moment, as you hold the elements together, the Spirit is going to do two things in this moment. The Spirit will shine a light on your sin and then shine a light on Jesus. In that moment, listen, if you need to confess, confess that sin. In this moment, if you need to turn your sail because the Spirit is pressing in on you to do that, turn your sail. team's going to sing as we sing together. You can stay seated as we sing. Stir your, let your heart be stirred towards that.
What is Christ calling you to this morning? What do you need to be reminded of today? Let the gospel, let the cross remind you. Let's sing.